The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeyes star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's homecoming loss to the Michigan State Spartans, and he previews the upcoming road game against the Ohio State Buckeyes. We also have our weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our programs, which include Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Brent Balbinot's Press Box Report and both of the new Reporter's Notebook shows. The Iowa-Michigan State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Mowens and Joey Galloway. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Welcome back, Marv Cook, for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's loss to Michigan State, and he previews the Ohio State game. Marv will spend just a little bit of time looking back at Iowa's homecoming loss to Michigan State. They were coming off of a nice win at Minnesota, but in that contest, it was a complete domination in every phase by the Spartans. It really was. Caught me off guard. I did not see that coming, to be honest with you. I really felt like Iowa would be able to do some things effectively running the football, and it just we could never get it going. I think I think Wiseman was a little bit nicked up, but uh, but still, I expected more out of our front guys. And and obviously, if we can't run the ball effectively, it's going to you know cause problems in our passing game as well. Equally disturbing, that's now the fourth straight Big Ten loss in games played inside Kinnick Stadium. Wow. Yeah, you bring that depressing me on that one. It's such a great venue, and, and, and it is what it is, I guess. We saw a lot of positive developments through the first five games for Iowa offensively, and we saw a lot of dominance by the Hawkeyes in some of the key offensive statistical categories, but all of that just flipped. It really was. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it as a one-off. This is just like a, you know, a bad outing and, and that type of thing, and I think Michigan State deserves a lot of credit for the way they played, but, you know, it, it, unfortunately it happens sometimes, and you, you, you like to think you're good enough to overcome them, but it was not what we had been accustomed to the first uh, you know, five games, obviously, and the success we were having and, and really being a dominant running team. And, and then to have a team come in and just literally throw a wet blanket over the whole thing and keep us out of our rhythm and, and just you know kind of beat us to the punch and everything we were trying to do offensively was, uh, was obviously frustrating. And Michigan State's defense, credit where credit's due, their 
reputation as one of the top defenses in the country well earned so far. You know, and there was there was one point where I think one of our linemen cut a guy in the backside and you almost saw the guy get up and kind of wag his finger a little bit and then it was you know it was on from that point forward and it, you know we got beat up a little bit. We got you know outplayed up front. You know, one, hopefully it's one of those things where you take a self assessment and, and do whatever you got to do to make sure that never happens again. So hopefully it's a great learning point for our kids and and a motivational thing as they get ready to to really make a hard push into the last uh, six weeks of the schedule. And looking back at that game, the Hawkeyes stuck to their ground game early, as they have in recent games. They were getting absolutely nothing out of it. They came into the game averaging almost 245 yards a game in rushing. They ended up with only 23 total there, and, and as a matter of fact, as a team, they were outrushed by Michigan State's punter Mike Sadler. When you struggle that much in one aspect of the game, it makes it pretty hard to try to flip the coin and do something different than maybe what you had in your game plan. I guess where I'm going with this question is if you're a coach and 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 you're coming into that game and and that's what you will want to establish right off the bat and it's just not working, how long do you stick with that game plan before you regroup and say, well, let's try something different? Well, the hard the hard part is is that's what we are. That's who that's who this offense is built around. You know, that's what we saw the first five weeks. I mean, it was they never you know, even when they had success with it, they never really deviated from it and went out and and, and did you know like a you know a, a lot of empty a lot of up tempo passing you know consistently kind of like we had to against Pitt last year where we you know you you really force your your passing game to come around and fortunately for us we didn't have to do it early on in the season but you know that's the kind of thing we're probably going to have to do more and more as we end this tougher part of our schedule. Another really telling stat in that game came with respect to third down conversions. Iowa faced an average of 8.2 yards on its second down plays that Saturday and 8. Point one yards on third downs. That's far worse than they've done earlier this season. It's tough to make those happen. It really is. You know, I had heard a statistic in the NFL that 70% of fourth downs are converted, and the reason that is is because when they go for it on fourth down, it's usually fourth and short. And a similar statistic would be third and short versus third and medium, third and long. And, and when we weren't having the success on first and second down, obviously that puts us in a you know a position where we can't run it on third down, and we're forced to throw it. And now they're they're smart. They're covering screens. They're covering the short stuff uh, and and making it more difficult on us. And, and you know, it's, it's a maturation process with our young quarterback, and, and obviously the receivers are still getting to know each other. But it was, you know, it was a pretty dominating performance by Michigan State. And, you know, the great thing was, is as bad as it was at times, we still were pretty much in the game, with the exception of a, a fake punt that kind of changed the field position and got them an extra three points at kind of a critical time in the game. I mean, it was we were still in it throughout for the most part. Talking about Jake Rudock, he struggled to have time to make plays most of this game. The offensive line just wasn't able to give him enough time. Uh, he had to hurry things far more than he has in any game this year. Just talk about his play, how he reacted to that much pressure, which was constant by Michigan State. You know, I actually thought he still played a, a, a solid game. I mean, considering the environment he was in and, and, and the getting out of sequence and getting out of, uh, you know, what we do with Pat play action and stuff. I, mean, I still thought he, he handled himself extremely well and, and uh, you know, it's, it truly was a learning curve for him and it'll ultimately be a great tool as he gets ready to go into Ohio State and, and has to seriously deal with some serious issues as far as athleticism and, and, and crowd noise and all that stuff traveling on the road in the Big Ten. So, you know, not up to his standards, I'm sure, but ultimately, considering he is a, a first-year guy, I, I, I still think he played admirably in those conditions, and that's where you just want enough of the other guys to step up and make plays around him and, and help him get through those tough times, and you know, unfortunately, we just didn't have enough big plays to get through it. You have to think that Iowa probably will not face another defense this good or this physical. You had that little stretch late in the second quarter that gave fans and the team, for that 
Matter Hope, where they almost just completely turned the game around there for a short period of time. Rudock was terrific in two drives. They put up two quick touchdowns on the board. They go in at halftime with all the momentum. Two questions relating to that. What did you see different that was going on in those two drives versus really the rest of the game, certainly what preceded it and what followed? And what changed at the start of the second half when Iowa wasn't able to replicate that anymore in the entire game? The thing that I noticed is I felt like there was a kind of a sense of urgency to some extent in the second quarter. I don't know if we got a little bit more of tempo or exactly what we were doing, but it seemed to me like we did get them a little bit less aggressive defensively when we were actually kind of standing on the gas a little bit and keeping them on their heels. And, and that's the thing I kind of noticed. It just seemed there was a better pace to what we were doing in tempo. And I'm not necessarily sure that that was the case, but that's just the perception that I had. I felt like a switch went off and we were playing a little faster than we had been prior. And then, you know, we got back into it and then, you know, you don't want to make mistakes when you're, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know, John, but, but it just seemed to me as, as someone was sitting there watching, I just felt like we had a better pace about us in the second quarter. Spartans finished that game with eight penalties for 70 yards. I think a lot of fans watching it live and watching the replays thought they could have been penalized even more, probably had an ejection. It's generous to call their defense chippy. They certainly play after the whistle. Talk about as a player and as a coach in terms of your team at Regina, when you face a team like that, how do you try to counter that? And moreover, how do you try to make sure your players don't overreact to it? Yeah, you just you just have to keep your composure. You know, you just have to play to the whistle. That's first and foremost. You have to play to the whistle and always be doing that because if you ever get caught standing around, you're going to get lit up. And then ultimately, just keep your composure and understand it's part of what's going on and, and always understand that it's the, it's, the, it's the second thing that gets seen usually. And so just don't get yourself into, you know, you got to check your ego a little bit. You know, make sure you're playing with your with your head instead of your emotions and your heart sometime. And, and that's all. I mean, it's, just, it's just a matter of poise and character and, you know, being mentally disciplined. Looking at the defense, the Hawkeyes defense played well again at times in this game. They continued to play really well inside the red zone. They also pretty much stopped Michigan State when they were facing a couple of short fields after Iowa turnovers. But they, again, showed susceptibility to the big pass plays and those two really big ones, 46 yards and 37 yards, the Spartans turned into touchdowns. I was shocked at how well the quarterback played. I mean, I, I had seen him play in probably three or four other games prior to coming in, and I thought he was you know, didn't look comfortable, didn't look like he had a grasp of the offense. And, and against us, I mean, I thought he really was slinging it and throwing it on time and, and looked really, really sharp. And, and, and I was, to me, it seemed like he was a different guy. So uh, I don't know if that's just we weren't putting enough stress on him or enough pressure or receivers were just open or, or what. But I mean, I, he to me, that was the most glaring thing for me was just how well I thought he was really in a rhythm and a groove and, and, and was very, very confident with the throws he was making. You know, Michigan State came into this game on offense, certainly not showing much the entire year. And yet, just what you're saying, Connor Cook had a career day. And Phil Parker in the bye week press conference seemed to be saying that Iowa certainly hadn't seen that much out of Michigan State's passing game. I'll put it that way. But my question is, did it look to you like Iowa's defense wasn't prepared to stop that kind of a passing game? I think it wasn't. It was like anything else. I mean, you practice and you say, you have a mindset of here's what we need to do. We need to stop the running game. It, it, to us, it's like, a, it's like a clone of what we are for the most part. That's what Michigan State's always wanted to be. They want to be a big physical running game, then they want to play action and, and beat you that way. And, and so it was a little bit shocking to see that they seemed very, very comfortable, uh, like I said, throwing it around the yard and, and, and distributing it like that. So I think that was probably it. And you talk, so you talk about that all week. Here's where you're going to get you're gonna get a big physical running game. And so your mindset is that. And then all of a sudden, when you show up on Saturday and they're throwing the ball all over the place, it kind of it gets you a little bit out of your out of your comfort zone and 
kind of defensive a little bit. And, and, I, and I thought that's kind of where we were at a little bit is we weren't as focused locking down some of the concepts, the you know, the passing concepts that they were running against us. But, you know, you got to credit them. I mean, they, they made the throws, they made the catches when they needed to and, and moved the chains and, and had success doing it. The other interesting thing Parker talked about last week was that his defense this year is blitzing on 15% of the plays. Now, we've talked in the past few weeks about how it appears that I was getting more pressure, even though sacks aren't showing up yet, but getting more pressure defensively on the opposing team's offense. And is that a matter to you of, frankly, Iowa's D linemen playing more aggressively and holding the offensive linemen off the linebackers more than maybe what happened last year? I think there's a lot of that. I mean, I think I think the one thing our D line does is they, they collapse the pocket and they're constantly putting, making it tougher to step up. They're making it tougher to, to convert. If they if they want to get out of the pocket, they got to they got to deepen to get around. And so, I mean, I think they've done a good job of that. And then you know, periodically you bring somebody off the edge, a, a back or something, and, and try to get a, a, a crease in there. But, but ultimately, I think that they've just been playing physical. I think first and foremost, we do want to stop the run and, and make a team one dimensional and, and force them to pass. And I think our D linemen are playing run first and then rushing. And I think that's part of the reason why we're not you know don't have a Matt Roth kind of guy just coming off the edge, pinning his ear back and, and creating havoc right now. Can't leave this game before we talk, unfortunately, about Iowa special teams. One thing that probably sticks in most fans' minds, other than the overall impression of how good Michigan State's defense played, was that Iowa was the victim of yet another fake punt. That's six consecutive successful fake punts versus the Hawkeyes, stretching back to the 2010 season. One of the reporters noted that seven of the 11 players in on that play for Iowa were redshirt freshmen or sophomores. We're looking now in that stretch over two different special teams coaches, and they still seem susceptible to that kind of a play. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously, uh, like I said, they, they ended up getting three points. They didn't get a, a, a lot of points out of it, but it did change the field position. They ended up getting three, but it, it's a momentum thing. Obviously, their sideline gets comes alive, and, and that's a, you know now you're dealing with, with, a, with a tougher energy for them, and fortunately, it, it just works out, and, and it worked for them, and it didn't work for us. And, you know, we've got to do a better job, obviously, of containing things, and, and probably what happened, I guarantee you, I don't, I don't guarantee it, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming one guy had contained, and they double-teamed him, and, you know, the other two guys came up and had the middle on the other side, but they were out, out the gate, you know, and you got to try to not be predictable as far as exactly who you are bringing and what's, where you're bringing pressure from and things like that, and they guessed right, and they made the play. Kirk talked in his post-game press conference, and then again repeated it at the weekly presser last week that maybe uh, he thinks Iowa will never try to return a punt again as long as he's coach said he was serious yeah. about that some commentary that that could really hurt them that's the kind of comment that could hurt Iowa's recruiting be used against them by other coaches but why is it that other teams can do both defend against the fake and still set up returns and yet Iowa seems to think those are mutually exclusive yeah I mean, I, you know it is what it is and I think that's more frustration than anything else I mean, like I said he did, we did have two kick punt returns for touchdowns just, you know a week or two prior so I mean I wouldn't get too caught up in that part of it, you just got to, you just got to make sure, uh, you know, you just got to make sure you cover the eligibles and you and you, you keep contained. And if you got to keep an extra one or two guys up there to do that, that's what you got to do. After the Big Ten update, Marv looks in depth at Iowa's road game against the Ohio State Buckeyes, and he talks about this Iowa team at midseason. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 
24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. In our Big Ten update this week, the Ohio State Buckeyes now hold the nation's longest winning streak at 18, which is the fourth longest in its program history. A win over Iowa this Saturday would extend their winning streak to the second longest in program history and would also be the eighth longest in the Big Ten. They are also the only remaining conference team with an unblemished record sitting at 6-0. They are also one of only 14 FBS teams that remain undefeated yet in the 2013 season. Ohio State is now the odds-on favorite to win the leaders' division and to play in the Big Ten title game. Wisconsin is second in that division with a 2-1 mark, but Ohio State holds the tiebreaker. The Legends' division, on the other hand, is pretty much wide open, with literally every team, perhaps other than Minnesota, remaining in the hunt. Currently, Michigan State, which appears to have discovered a decent offense to go along with a great defense, and Nebraska, which has been playing better in its last two games, sit atop the Legends with 2-0 records, trailed by Michigan and Iowa, which are both 1-1. One and one. The surprising team in the Legends division at this point, in a negative way, is Northwestern, which has now lost two straight games. The Wildcats looked pretty good losing to Ohio State in Evanston, but they look completely overmatched in a loss at Wisconsin, so they remain a bit of a mystery team. Big Ten offenses are prolific more so than they were last year. Teams are averaging 34.7 points per game. That's an increase of more than five points compared to a year ago. Big Ten defenses are also improved in 2013. Six teams rank among the nation's top 20 in total defense, and seven rank among the top 30 in rushing defense. Four sit in the top 25 in scoring defense. Key games last weekend saw Wisconsin walk all over Northwestern 35-6, while Penn State eked out a thrilling four-overtime victory over Michigan in Happy Valley, 43-40, a week after the Nittany Lions lost for the first time ever in their program history to Indiana. Key matchups this week include Wisconsin going on the road to Illinois, Indiana taking its prolific offense to the big house in Ann Arbor, plus Iowa's trip to the horseshoe against Ohio State. In terms of individual stats and national rankings of interest to hockey, fans this week. Ohio State is ranked 6th nationally in scoring offense, 19th in total offense, and 11th in rushing offense, and their 12th in passing efficiency offense. The Buckeyes are 24th in scoring defense, but the Hawkeyes are 12th. Iowa ranks 9th in total defense, while Ohio State is 15th. The Buckeyes and Hawkeyes are 6th and 8th, respectively, in rushing defense. Iowa is 17th in the FBS in interceptions with 9 through the first 6 games. And in punt returning, Iowa's Cavante Martin-Manley is first in the nation, while Ohio State's Corey Brown is ninth. Four conference teams continue to appear in national polls with little change this week. Ohio State is in the top four in all three polls. Wisconsin is 25th in the AP. Nebraska and Michigan are both ranked between 21st and 24th in the USA Today and Harris Interactive polls. And broadcast school has really paid off.
Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Next, Marv Cook previews Ohio State and assesses Iowa's midseason progress. When you head to the Ohio State game, you certainly have some fond memories playing in the horseshoe. Iowa sits at 4-2 overall, 1-1 one one in the Big Ten. Both Iowa and Ohio State had their bye weeks coming into this game. It's a series certainly dominated both home and away by Ohio State, which comes into this one 6-0 overall, 2-0 in the Big Ten. And they hold the nation's longest winning streak at 18. Pretty amazing. I mean, it really is. It's amazing what Urban Meyer has been able to accomplish just in his short time there. And obviously has them playing at a high level. Playing kind of ugly football. I don't think they're playing at the level he wants them playing at yet, but uh, they're getting it done. They're finding ways to win, and, and that's what's exciting for me as a Hawk fan, and, and, and ultimately as a player, you should be, this is great. You know, we've got a chance to, uh, you know, to go in there and beat this team, and, and you talk about making amends for feeling bad about a couple losses at this point. You beat the number you beat the number four team in the country, an undefeated string like that, and you've done something, and so, you know, hopefully our guys are excited and they're ready to get after it and um, enjoying the opportunity that's ahead of them. They've had some big wins in particular over Wisconsin and Columbus and Northwestern and Evanston. And here's an interesting stat. Meyer is 32-4 and four when his teams have had more than a week to prepare for an opponent. And another little interesting factoid, Jake Rudock wasn't even born the last time Iowa won in Columbus, which was 91. And the time they won in Columbus before was 87. I think you were on that team. That's right. A lot of great things happened. I mean, was, you know, and, and honestly, similar situation. They had a lot of talent. Uh, you know, we were kind of a good team but not a great team at the time and, and trying to prove ourselves and, and ultimately it was an opportunity for us to go out and make plays and, and fortunately we kept it close and we're able to make a play, play down the stretch and, I, and I, honestly that's what I see this weekend I, I, I see Ohio State as a talented team but a team that's going to muddle around a little bit and if we can control some of their athleticism and special teams and big plays offensively then I think it's going to be a close game and, and uh, you know one bounce goes our way late we got a chance Talk about the pluses and minuses of bye weeks Iowa has two this year this one came undoubtedly at a good time for the Hawkeyes in terms of letting some injured players heal up because they had so many people nicked up in that game against Michigan State. But it also provides an extra week to ponder the kind of butt-whipping you cut a couple of weeks ago. How, how does that balance out? You know, I mean, honestly, I think it comes at a perfect time, like you said. I mean, six weeks in and, and you know, unfortunately, Ohio State's got the same exact same thing. But, you know, you get it healthy. I mean, I think our guys were nicked up. I mean, look like Wiseman and Martin Manley were a little bit nicked up last uh, game. They didn't, you know, Martin Manley was out pretty quick and, and Wiseman just seemed like he just hobbled a little bit. So I think it's a great time for us, you know, a chance to go back and really clean up the things that you've been struggling with the first six weeks and ultimately then look ahead and see, well, what do we need to do to be competitive the next six weeks and to win games and, and work those things, those extra five days, and, and, and hopefully that's what we've done. And you know, like I said, our kids will be fresher and, and re- rejuvenated and ready to get back after it. Ohio State's a team that almost always has outstanding athletes at the skill positions especially. This year, their backup quarterback, Kenny Guyton, and their backup running back, Joe, 
Jordan Hall are not only very good, they actually have better numbers than the starters, Braxton Miller and Carlos Hyde. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, uh, Braxton was out with a couple a couple nagging things, but I mean, that's Ohio State. I mean, they got talent across the board. I mean, that's always been the big, big rap that Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State get, get the four and five star guys, but, you know, it's a team game. It takes 11, and, you know, I've seen games where they, they haven't set the world on fire as far as, you know, Buffalo and some of these other teams they've played, so they've won kind of ugly. It's just kind of what we do, and so that's kind of what I'm expecting as a, as a kind of a rough, physical, tough football game. I like I like our chances if we can keep it like that. Some key matchups, statistically speaking, in this game, which should provide a, a really good measuring stick about where Iowa has come. And I've just mentioned to throw a couple of these out and let you react to them. It, Iowa's offense is high in the nation in third down conversions. Ohio State's defense is high in the FBS stats in terms of stopping opponents' third down conversion attempts. Iowa's given up five sacks on the year. Ohio State has 16 sacks. Iowa's rushing defense averages 88.5 yards a game. Ohio State's averaging 281 yards a game in running. Ohio State's the top scoring offense in the Big Ten at 47 points a game. Iowa's third best in scoring defense at 17 points a game. So you've got some really good matchups to kind of watch there in terms of things that Iowa does well versus things that Ohio State does well. Something's going to have to give in almost each of those categories. Yeah, and, and you know, it's a similar thing to last week. I mean, our two weeks ago when we played Michigan State, I mean, the, you know, the statistics early on, especially, are a little bit skewed when you're playing MAC teams and you're, you're playing out of conference. But, uh, you know, it, it's we need to run the football. And, and obviously, Ohio State's good against that. They're going to want to run the football and make it easier for their passing game. You know, we've got to try to make it make them one-dimensional as best as possible. Make, you know, make Braxton Miller beat you with his arm. You know, we know he can beat you with his leg. We know they can run it and beat you. Let's make him beat you with his arm, throwing from the pocket. And, and if we can do that, then I, then I think we got a good chance. And you try to you try to make people do what they're not comfortable to to beat you. Don't let them do what they're good at. Make them do what they're not as good at. And if they end up beating you with that, then congratulations to them. We keep repeating the importance of turnover margins, but I guess that's because they are really important. Ohio State has a plus four on the season. Iowa's at plus two. Iowa, the four games it's won, it's won that battle. The turnover battle, the two it lost, it lost that battle. You'd have to think that turnovers will be key in this game, especially for the Hawkeyes on the road playing in that kind of stadium in front of 105,000 people. That's the biggest thing for me is how's, how's uh, Rudock going to take that? He's traveled to Minnesota. He's played at home in Kinnick. But, and, and you can try to recreate that. You can try to simulate that inside the dome or, or the practice facility. But to have you know, 85, 87,000 people going crazy, trying to communicate our run checks, trying to get the backs lined up and communicated and getting everybody set before you start your cadence, I mean, it's difficult. And, and I think that's going to be the most unique part of what we're going to try to accomplish Saturday is how well we're able to function as a unit offensively and get those checks in and, and, and be good about it. And so I think that's going to be the young quarterback's greatest challenge is just how do we communicate all that stuff, making sure we avoid false starts and, and penalties, delay games, things like that, force us back into third and long or second and long and, and uh, you know keep the momentum on our side, keep making plays. And, and, and so it's difficult. I mean, this is one of the most difficult settings to, to play and, and obviously for great reasons. One, because it's extremely loud. Two, they're extremely talented football team and that's a formidable uh, two things to try to overcome. Now, that being the case, like I said, I, I think the matchup does suit Iowa. You know, Ohio State hasn't been pummeling anybody for the most part. They've been, you know, like I said, winning ugly for the last 18 games for the most part. And, and uh, if we can keep it close, keep it to a one-possession game, I, I really like our chance. This is kind of an off-the-wall question, but is it easier for a defense on the road to go into that kind of environment and get its signals called than it is an offense? I'm assuming the very answer much. is yes. Yeah, very much so. I mean, defensively, 
it's still going to be intense, and obviously they're going to do some tempo things and, and try to create problems for you. But ultimately, yeah, it's going to be a lot easier for our defense to communicate than our offense. I mean, the hardest thing, never mind the fact that trying to communicate, you know, odd or even or Riverside or whatever the, the, the audible is as far as getting, you know, the play in and in the right direction, then the, the element is just you have to sit and watch the ball because you can't hear the kick in the quarterback. You know, a lot of times you're just going to go on a silent count, so you got to sit there and, and now you're looking inside the ball and you're trying to figure out exactly where that defender is you're supposed to be blocking. And think about a tackle who's trying to block a, an athletic, strong defensive end, sees him, then he looks inside of the ball, the guy shifts a little bit, you know, it's tough. I mean, it is very, very difficult. I mean, if you're just a, you know, a fraction of a second late on the snap, that guy's up the field and now you're at a disadvantage. So, I mean, that's that's the hardest part offensively. It's brutal. Defensively, it's, it's you know, it's not simple, but it's, it's a lot easier than offense. You've already mentioned your keys to this game. What's your prediction? I like it. I think it's going to come down to a fourth quarter game. I really do. I think, uh, you know, we're going to be able to run the ball somewhat effectively on these guys with our big tight ends. I think you'll see a lot of multiple tight end sets try to lean on them, try to create, you know, four or five yards. I think we'll try to take the air out of the ball, minimize their possession, which I think, you know, plays into our strengths. And it's and, uh, just a matter of us making a couple plays here on offense and making a couple plays on defense and hopefully winning the, the special teams in the turnover battle. And if we do that, I, you know, I really like our chance. And, and this is that, you know, trust me, I've milked this thing for how many years, you know, one opportunity to go into Columbus, Ohio and, and be part of a great team and a great win. And, and, and now it's time for these guys. You know, these guys get a chance to go in and make their mark. And, and that's exciting. You know, I mean, like I said, every player that gets on that bus to go to get on that plane to go to Columbus should understand this is why this is why I signed up to play in the Big Ten for this opportunity. Number four ranked team, 18 game win streak in Columbus, Ohio. That is my opportunity. And it's right there in front of me, 60 minutes. And if you can't get jacked for that and you can't give premium effort, supreme effort, and, and trust me, our kids are talented. And if we get that kind of effort and that kind of attitude, I think we got a great chance. Closing out this week, almost everyone agrees that this Iowa team looks better than the 2012 squad did. Yet they have the same record at this point of the season. And if you look at some key stats, they're very similar uh, this year to last year. So the key question is whether this team can finish better compared to the one that played a year ago. I think ultimately they will. I think I, I haven't been, the Big Ten's really confusing. I mean, I went and watched Northwestern, you know, play Ohio State very, very difficult. And then they just look terrible against Wisconsin. I mean, so I, I know the Big Ten's tough, and but I mean, that's a big discrepancy on what's going on. So I mean, I, I, I like our, I like our chances. I think we got a talented squad. I think we're going to get better every week. And, you know, I mean, there's not anybody on our schedule right from here on out that I don't think we can be. We can't be. I, th- I think, and we've said this, I think they can win every single game. I think they can lose every single game, unfortunately. You know, that's part of a young team. That's the beauty of it. They get to play and they get to prove it on the field. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Reinford alongside Cook in the backfield. Tipped by Morris and it's intercepted. James Morris bats it up in the air and then holds it down at the Spartans 33. Nice athletic play by Morris. Gets his hands on the ball and then, and then stays with it. Keeps down and brings it in. James Morris making his 35th career start. Coming up with his third interception of the year. Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. 
and by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook for his contributions. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you will come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. You can call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.